0: Hello, and welcome back to the North Georgia Blue podcast produced and distributed by the Fannin County Democratic Party. I'm your host, Meryl Clark, and we're getting into some good trouble today with our very special guest, Georgia State Senator Jen Jordan, the Democratic nominee for attorney general. Welcome to the show, Senator. We're so happy you're here. Yeah, I'm so excited to be here to talk to y'all. Fantastic. Well, let's let our listeners know a little bit about you. Democratic State Senator Jen Jordan has spent her professional career fighting for Georgians. She grew up in Dodge County, the oldest child of a single mom who worked as a hairdresser and who taught her daughters the value of hard work and perseverance. As a young girl, Senator Jordan learned those lessons and benefited from the support that Georgia offers to students going to Georgia Southern University on the encouragement of her public school teachers and a Hope Scholarship, and then working her way through law school at the University of Georgia. Good dogs. It was in law school that she found her voice and came to believe deeply that the courthouse should be a place where everyone is treated equally and that the law can be a powerful tool for justice. Senator Jordan's small-town background informs her approach to the law and public service. Put simply, she believes in helping people when they need it the most. She has put those beliefs into practice throughout her career, fighting to protect Georgians' right to vote, to prevent industrial plants from polluting Georgia's air and water with cancer-causing chemicals, and to protect children from predators and keep guns out of the hands of domestic abusers. Because of her real life experience in the courtroom and out, she knows that now more than ever, we need an attorney general who will take a stand and fight for the rights of each and every Georgian. Boy, a true statement was never said. That's why she's running for attorney general to fight for the people of Georgia, as you always have. Senator. You've always fought for the people of Georgia. So let's talk about that for a moment. And I want to hear about your legal work as well. You've been a zealous advocate for the people of Georgia for quite a while now, both as an attorney and a state senator. And you're particularly engaged on the question of women's civil and human rights with a long track record of fighting to ensure that all of our rights are fully protected. Your speech on the so called heartbeat bill on the floor of the Senate was both fierce and passionate. Tell us how you will work as our next attorney general to make sure that all of our rights are fully protected. How do you feel about SCOTUS overturning nearly 50 years of precedent? And I'd like you to touch on the maternal mortality rates in Georgia as well.
1: Yeah, thank you all so much for having me. Well, you know, what's interesting is that there is a Bible verse in Esther that talks about for such a time as this. And it really does feel like this is the time that I needed to run very specifically for Attorney General in Georgia because of what is happening at the Supreme Court level. And so for people who kind of just know generally what's happening, what the Supreme Court has done specifically with women's reproductive rights and the right of privacy specifically, is to say, you know, there's not a right in the federal constitution for women to have a right to privacy. And so the states can basically do whatever they want to do in terms of regulating that. So the impact of that is that we've had our own. HB 481 to go into effect. And 481 is the abortion ban that bans abortions before most women even know they're pregnant. And not only that, but has provisions about personhood which basically say that an embryo is a person under Georgia law, which is just nutty. So, we're kind of dealing with those issues like what are the implications of that? And so, from my perspective, with respect to an AG, what people don't understand is that the Georgia Constitution actually provides a lot of protections to the people of this state. And it's something we've never really talked about because we've always operated under the U.S. Constitution because of Roe and and because of the cases that came after. But Georgia's Constitution really is very protective. So when I think about becoming an attorney general in the state of Georgia right now, when we have the Supreme Court sending back all of these issues about rights that we thought were there, right? Whether you're talking about the rights that women have or whether the right to marry who you love in terms of Obergefell and same-sex marriage, all the progress we've made is really, we're regressing and they're sending those issues back to the state. But ultimately, we really do have a state constitution that's really protective. And as the next attorney general, that is what I'm going to use. I'm going to use our own state constitution really to try to protect the rights that I really do think we have under our state constitution even if the current Supreme Court says that we all of a sudden no longer have it under the U.S. Constitution.
0: What's going on legally through the court? I know that Planned Parenthood of the Southeast and the ACLU, they've all filed suits against H.B. 481, which is now law and abortion is banned in Georgia. So where are we on the legal level
1: So really what's had to happen, because we haven't had an attorney general who's really been willing to fight for the people, is that you've had to have private litigants step up like the ACLU or Planned Parenthood or private individuals like doctors or nurses to file suit saying this violates my constitutional rights or the rights of my patients. And so right now they have filed a case in Fulton Superior Court. It is pending before Judge McBurney, who is also handling all of the special grant jury investigation into Donald Trump and Giuliani at all. So he's pretty busy right now, but he's handling it. And at this moment, he has said that he doesn't have the power to grant a temporary restraining order. And what folks need to realize is that that is just a temporary remedy would only restrain the law from going into effect, I think, for like 30 days. But he does believe he has the power to rule on whether or not the law runs afoul of the Georgia state constitution. And so that's kind of what we're waiting for. We're waiting for that briefing to be done. And I've had similar cases like this when I've invoked the Georgia Constitution before. And usually there's some kind of declaratory judgment trial where you argue the issues in front of the judge and then he ultimately will make the determination. Of course, that will go up to the Georgia Supreme Court for appellate review. But for right now, we're in Fulton County, and I would expect a ruling probably right before the election, if not right after. What can you do
0: as Attorney General? What is the scope? I guess I'm asking, what will be the scope of your powers to ensure that women's right to privacy and autonomy over
1: our own bodies is protected? What can you do as AG? I would be doing what these private parties are doing. I would be filing the challenge. I would be arguing in court that the Georgia Constitution actually provides these protections. I would be issuing opinions. Formal legal opinions from the AG's office that I believe that under current law, look that the right to privacy was recognized. I think Georgia was the first state to actually recognize the right to privacy in 1905. So this isn't anything new, right? Mm-hmm. So that's what I would be doing. Unfortunately, right now because of the Attorney General that we have, who seems to be more obsessed with stripping women of their constitutional rights than fighting for them or protecting them, we've had private parties kind of step in to do the work for us. So I'm watching what's happening with that litigation and we'll see how far it gets before I'm sworn in in January. And you have a
0: personal stake in this, don't you? I mean, you've gone through some painful moments with various pregnancies and you have two children yourself. You're a mom and you're a very (laughs) hardworking mother of uh, two kids. And this is personal for
1: you, isn't it? Look, I think it's personal for every woman and especially for any woman who is a mother of a daughter, but I'll extend that further. I mean, look, what's crazy to me is that I have not lived a day on this earth where I did not have autonomy over my body because Roe v. Wade came out and was law of the land right before I was born in the 70s. So just to kind of get your head around, like, what does this even mean? And I think for people my age and younger, I think folks are still even processing because it just seems crazy to them that they couldn't have autonomy, that they can't make decisions, that they can't have access to contraception, that they would be forced to carry a pregnancy that really they could terminate at the earliest point in time, right? Mm -hmm. But now they can't because there were certain men in the General Assembly and a governor who made some determinations that they were going to take that choice away from women. And so it's one of those things where it's personal to all of us. And I talk about women, but I will tell you that probably one of the most vocal advocates, particularly for my daughter, is her father, because this is going to impact the lives of our children and the ability of them to make decisions about when they want to have children and their health. Folks who have been pushing HB 481 act like pregnancy is just A walk in the park, it's like getting a manicure or pedicure, and it doesn't impact women's health or their lives or their ability to even make a living. And we know that's not true. And any woman who's ever been pregnant or wanted to be pregnant or lost a pregnancy knows that. And so that's why this issue in particular... I don't think it's a partisan issue as much as it's a personal issue and very personal to women.
0: Agreed. And so let's talk about abortion services being essentially health care and also about reproductive justice. And also, I want to touch on the maternal mortality rate in Georgia, because I believe Leader Abrams stated that we are sixth in the nation for maternal mortality. So you're right. It's not a walk in the park and it can be very dangerous for both women and the fetus. So tell me more about how You would try to ensure reproductive justice as well, especially as it pertains to maternal mortality in Georgia. And of course, that's highest among people of color. So tell me more about that.
1: So let's walk it back a little bit, because a lot of times people will put this debate into a box kind of like, okay, well, you're pro-choice or you're pro-life and that's all that we need to be concerned with. But from my perspective, and and I'm originally from South Georgia, Dodge County, and that's where I grew up. And I grew up in a kind of a stringent religious household. And I know a lot of other people have grown up that way, especially outside of the metro Atlanta area. So trying to talk about this issue, even outside of kind of the normal religious frame, you got to think about the impact on maternal mortality. And you may say, well, well, how does this impact that? Well, think about it this way. Like almost half of our counties don't have an OBGYN right now. We know that labor and delivery units have been closing all over the state. We know rural hospitals have been closing all over the state. Women all over the state, and in particular, black and brown women, don't have access to care, period. Mm-hmm. Like to even be able to get good prenatal care, to be able to deal with comorbidities that pop up regularly during pregnancy, including hypertension or diabetes or all of the things that really put not only the mama's life in danger, but also the babies as well. And so we don't have enough doctors as it is. So then what do we do? We pass a law that basically tells OBGYNs and physicians that if you provide necessary care to your patient. Care that you have been told that you need to provide to them because it is in their best interest. If you do that, then by God, we're going to throw you in jail. Now, if you're an OBGYN, are you going to want to come practice here in Georgia? Are you really going to move here because you think that this is the best place for you to practice as a physician where you can provide the best care that you possibly can to your patients? No, no. So it's been like throwing gasoline on a fire, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So we already have kind of this catastrophic problem when it comes to not having enough physicians to provide care to these mamas and these babies all over the state. And now we're going to make it even worse in all purportedly because we're pro-life. That's not pro-life. I mean, people are going to die because of this law. And it's one of those things where you got to look at that. That is such an important part of this because it actually does Have the most direct impact, especially on black and brown women all over this state.
0: And it's only going to get worse under this law. And you're right, doctors aren't going to want to come here. And I don't blame them, especially if they're under threat of prosecution for practicing what they do. And it's so ambiguous. The bill is ambiguous and crazy ambiguous.
1: And that's part of the problem. I mean, I've had calls from women who they're miscarrying, and a physician said to them basically, If you would have come in two weeks ago, or if you would have come in a week ago, I would have dealt with this situation or managed this miscarriage differently. But I've got to go call the hospital's lawyer right now because I don't know what I'm allowed to do or not do. And it's going to put your life in danger, because I'm not sure if I can do anything until you're septic or your fevers at a certain level. I mean, that's just a nightmare scenario. If you're a woman who is going through one of the most painful things in her life, losing a wanted pregnancy, and then you have the doctor basically say, yeah, and I really can't do anything for you. And it may result in you dying or not being able to have kids in the future. I mean, that's just...
0: It boggles the same mind, doesn't it? It really does. Does Crazy. All right. Well, we could talk about this all day, but moving on and thank you for all of your hard work in this area. I've always thought that pro-life was a disingenuous term at best because it's actually anti-choice and it's anti-life in many cases, as you just pointed out. Let's talk about gun violence for a moment. That's something else that's on all of our minds. The Uvalde elementary students are returning back to school. I read a story on NPR this morning, as a matter of fact, that said that a lot of students refuse to go back to school because they're terrified, which Of course, you can't blame them. They watch their teachers and classmates get gunned down in front of them. So as a mother and a longtime civil servant serving the people of Georgia in particular, how will you tackle Georgia's lax gun laws to ensure that all of our citizens are protected
1: and safe? There's an old saying is that you have to actually acknowledge the problem in order to deal with the problem. And I think that the biggest issue, the biggest problem that we have right in front of us right now are that there are too many unlawful guns on the streets in the hands of people that shouldn't have them. And I always want to kind of clarify here because there's like this Hobson's choice that Republicans or some of the gun lobby throw out there. It's either you're pro-2A or you're anti-2A. And I don't think that's right. I mean, my father was a career Marine. I have been around guns all my life. Like I said, I grew up in South Georgia. I don't have an issue with people owning guns and being responsible gun owners. I don't Have that. But what we're dealing with right now are guns in the hands of people who shouldn't have them. And whether we're talking about people that have committed felonies, fugitives from justice, people going through a mental health crisis, folks who are domestic abusers who can't control themselves not to beat and abuse their wives and children, if they can't do that, then they definitely shouldn't have a gun. Mm -hmm. And so it's one of those things that we can't talk about crime and what's going on and trying to have safer communities unless we acknowledge that there's a real gun issue, because really what we're talking about is gun violence and the lack of the provision of mental health Care in this country. I mean, I think we've seen the impact of that. The ability of people to get their hands on guns so incredibly easily and not holding people accountable when someone gets a gun that they shouldn't have, right? Or maybe they don't have a gun safe. Maybe they just leave guns out and then you have these children that pick up these guns and and shoot other children. I mean, we have to start saying, look, we think that people have the right to own a firearm, but there need to be safety guardrails around that because too many people are getting hurt and too many people are getting killed. And when you talk about someone taking guns into schools and shooting elementary children, there's no way to even justify that or argue that point. And I think what we saw out of Uvalde was it completely blew out of the water the response I would always get, which was, well, we just need more good guys with guns to go after the bad guys. And I'm like, you can't look at all the video and the pictures of the police that were standing right outside of there while those children were being gunned down and believe that that actually is true anymore.
0: No, we can't. And study after study has come out in the past several decades as a matter of fact, proving that that doesn't work. So do you believe that the law that was passed on the federal level will be helpful in Georgia? Because we know that Brian Kemp has already allowed people to buy guns without a concealed carry permit. There's no requirement to take gun safety courses anywhere in the state. And of course, assault rifles are still readily available. So do you think that law goes far enough or what would you change?
1: I think on Thursday, there was a gun case that came out. And then on Friday, the Dobbs case came out, which was the case overturning Ruby Wade. Right. So we really didn't pay that much attention to the case that came out on Thursday that was striking down a New York law that regulated folks who could have handguns. And that opinion went so much farther than any other Supreme Court opinion in terms of the right to own and carry a handgun. Basically, the Supreme Court on Thursday recognized a constitutional right that had never been recognized before for people to be able to carry in public a handgun, period, you know, hard stop without regulation. And then on Friday, they took away a right that had been around for over 50 years. Mm -hmm. So what I'm concerned about is that even some of the things in the federal law run afoul of this new case. And I know that there are a lot of folks that are already challenging other state laws. For example, a state law that says you can't have access to a gun and to you're 21. I know there have been some lawsuits filed in other states challenging that, saying that the new Supreme Court case basically says that those can't stand. So that's something that folks need to keep their eyes on because now we've got this Supreme Court case that may make it Almost impossible to pass regulations that we really need to try to keep people safe. So that's incredibly important as we're moving forward, not just Dobbs or Roe, but just this whole kind of elevation of the right to be able to carry whenever, however, and wherever you want to.
0: Right. What about our rights not to be gunned down when we're going to concerts or the theater or what have you, or the grocery store for that matter? This very extremist right-wing court.
1: Yeah, and it's scary. It is scary. Because we've seen it happen everywhere, like you said, and people have been targeted and then older people of color have been targeted. People in certain churches have been targeted. Children have been targeted. I mean, what was it? Highland Park in Illinois, where they had the shooter during the parade. Right. We can't even enjoy kind of the most basic things now, a parade. We really need to take a hard look at all of this. But again, and Stacey Abrams says this a lot, we can protect the Second Amendment, but we can also protect Second graders too. And I really do believe that.
0: Completely agreed. So let's turn our attention to voting rights. This is another matter that you're obviously very passionate about. We know that Republicans in power across the state are doing all they can to dissuade voters and voting, especially in rural communities and those populated by people of color. How will you utilize your power as AG to ensure that all of our citizens can exercise their constitutional right to vote without impediment?
1: So elections and voting are really under the jurisdiction of the attorney general. So people may say, well, nobody's done anything before. And what I want to say is, is because Republicans have been trying to, like you said, dissuade people, keep people from voting. But imagine if you had someone in that office who actually wanted to protect people's ability to exercise the franchise, to protect their constitutional right to vote. And you had somebody with the power legally to do that. I mean, I just look at for example the attorney general has not done anything in terms of what's going on in Coffee County. I don't know if you've seen any of the news out of there where they were accessing voting machines and they were letting people copy the software all this kind of stuff and that's a criminal act that they were doing. So we haven't heard a peep from the attorney general's office, even though that is exactly who should be prosecuting that. And so the district attorney in Fulton County has really been left as the only person who is willing to hold folks accountable when they are doing things that run afoul of election law or are trying to overturn elections or disenfranchise people. So I like to say to people, the AG's office has a lot of power, And that power can be used for good. And so it would be an incredible office that actually prioritized helping people to vote and protecting their rights versus going after them or just trying to defend laws that really do try to keep them from exercising their rights.
0: Sometimes I feel like we're living in the upside down, Senator. Oh, it's, it's just, we are. We are. It's insane that Republicans and Chris Carr, and I'll go ahead and call him out, our Republican AG currently, who will hopefully be voted out in November, who will be voted out, excuse me, in November. And all they seem to do is try to disrupt our constitutional processes on so many levels. So it would certainly be a refreshing change to have you in there who actually cares. About our citizens and their rights. So thank you for that. Environmental justice is another hot topic that is on all of our minds. Tell us why it matters. Please elaborate on your record, which is quite substantial in this area, and what we can do to ensure that everyone has access to clean water and breathable air across the state, regardless of zip code.
1: So folks may think, well, what does the AG's office have to do with this? But one of the major areas of the AG's office is making sure that other agencies are doing their job and following the law Mm -hmm. and also making sure that business bad actors, big corporations aren't doing things that are hurting Georgians. I mean, that is absolutely within the jurisdiction of the attorney general. And I was faced with this head on when there was a facility in my district that was emitting a carcinogen that causes cancer. And the state EPD had tried to cover it up, but a journalist uncovered it. And I'll tell you, all hell broke loose once people knew about it because folks were scared. And this facility had been operating for decades and no one knew about it because this particular carcinogen, ethylene oxide, you can't see it. So it's not like your normal industrial waste that you see it coming through the smoke stacks or anything. You can't smell it. You can't see it. It is just deadly dangerous, especially sustained exposure over time. And I delved into it because I'll tell you, I lived in the area that was affected. My kids went to school and breathed the air. And I had a friend that was dying of breast cancer, which is one of the cancers that this particular carcinogen has been shown to cause. And and this person lived in the area too. So doing the legal work like I do, I figured out that the only person who could really do anything was the attorney general. He could go into court. He could at least stop the plant from operating for a period of time so we could figure out what was going on. Are they following the regs? Are they following the law? Really just getting our hands around it because people were really up in arms. And not only did he decline to do it. But he ended up striking a deal with them behind closed doors that allowed them to continue to operate without having gone through the full permitting process yet. So it was at that point that I was like, you know, this is crazy. It's like the one person who actually could have helped refused to do that. And priorities are really mixed up. And that's when I decided I should remember attorney general
0: to right all of these wrongs. And there are so many of them, especially with our current attorney general being so pro-business, but certainly not pro pro-humanity. So thank you. And you won that, didn't you? I mean, that was in
1: Cobb County, correct? We're still fighting it out. Wow. The Trump administration ended up inserting itself into it during COVID. It's been ugly, but I will tell you that eventually we'll get there because the facility should not be operating where it's operating, you know, full stop. And it's taken a lot of of really dedicated people to fight it. And again, private litigants because the attorney general refuses to do his job on behalf of the people.
0: Disgusting and abhorrent. But, you know, thank you for bringing that up. I thought that had been resolved. I'm sorry to hear that it's still under litigation, but I know that you will prevail. So thank you for their work with that. Also, I wanted to talk about your position on reforming the criminal justice system, which is very important. We had spoken to Charlie Bailey, who's running for lieutenant governor as a longtime prosecutor. He is certainly familiar with that system and all the changes that need to be done. So as AG, you want to reform the criminal justice system and prisons in Georgia, which are notoriously bad, strengthen access to vital health care and hold insurance companies responsible for bad practices. That's quite a bit. How will you as our next AG work to assist all Georgians. Let's start with criminal justice.
1: So there are limitations to the AG's office. And so the problem is, is that really the AG's office kind of doesn't get involved until something bad has happened. The AG doesn't pass the laws. It doesn't create the policies or anything like that. But where the AG's office can come into play is holding people accountable. And in particular, let's talk about if there are problems in terms of policing. We've had a lot of officer-involved shootings that are not appropriate. Appropriate, and there are questions about how lawful they were and holding those folks accountable when, you know, they hurt people and they did something they weren't supposed to do. And so I think that's kind of where the AG comes in, kind of after the fact. And I like to to give people an example because I think sometimes it's hard hypothetically to think about it. But if you think about George Floyd in Minnesota, And the AG, the Attorney General there, Keith Ellison, who's a Democrat, he actually prosecuted the officer who was charged with with killing George Floyd and murdering him in that case and prosecuted him and got a conviction. But then if you look at Kentucky and you look at Breonna Taylor in that case, you had a Republican AG who refused to prosecute the officers that basically gunned Breonna down. So that's what I'm talking about. It's like after the fact, something bad has happened, but somebody needs to be held accountable. And at the end of the day, the attorney general plays a really important Important role with respect to that.
0: That's good to know. (laughs) That would be very helpful. So let's talk about healthcare and the ACA and Republicans in our state who refuse to expand Medicaid. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Look, I think that part of what the AG's role is, is about using a bully pulpit in a lot of ways. And I think we're going to have more hospitals close. And I think that there really needs to be a light shined on why legally. Like, why are these hospitals closing? It's not just kind of willy nilly. And people need to understand that when policy decisions are made by those in power, i.e. the Republican all through government, that they really do have implications and have a negative impact on our state. And so just trying to be as clear as possible in terms of drawing the lines between policy and then the impact. But also when we talk about insurance companies come here and I mean, there was a big dispute where the insurance company refused to let certain folks with the state benefit health plan to see certain doctors in the Wellstar Health System or whatever. That would have been a role for the attorney general to kind of step in and really try to resolve that dispute. Unfortunately, that didn't happen.
0: I'm not sure what Chris Carr is doing, but we'll talk about him in just a moment. So. Throughout your professional career as both an accomplished attorney and senator, which we are so grateful for all the work that you've done on our behalf, you've diligently worked to protect consumers by fighting for economic justice. Can you elaborate about your accomplishments in this area?
1: Yeah, most of my legal career has been really in the area of consumer law and fighting predatory lenders. And a lot of times you have to fight the fights that come to you. So I remember during the fallout from the subprime loan fiasco, I was having to go into court and stop a bunch of wrongful foreclosures. And so it's one of those things where when people are down on their luck and nobody else is willing to stand up for them because they don't have the money to pay an attorney or whatever, that's really where I have done a lot of work. And that's actually one of the specific, like when I was talking about elections, there's also a specific area for the attorney general's office in terms of consumer protection and elder abuse. These are all areas that I have practiced in for over 20 years and really look forward to being able to bring expertise and experience to bear so that the people of this state can actually benefit. You have that track record. I would say that Chris Carr does not. So let's talk for a
0: moment about Chris Carr, our current Republican Attorney General in office. First, what's wrong with him? And I know that's an open-ended and loaded question, but why is it so important that he be replaced? And he is a far-right extremist, as we know. And we also know that he's done, as you've Perfectly illustrated here. He's done little to nothing to help Georgia citizens. So what are your thoughts on him and why he is the way he is? philosophical question
1: for the ages. So look, I think that Chris and I just have a philosophical difference in terms of what the Attorney General's office is. I think he just views it as just another political stop on his way to becoming the next Republican governor or the next Republican United States Senator. He really never practiced law. He never really wanted to practice law, to be quite frank. He's been a bureaucrat his entire life and it's just kind of been in the political ethos, swamp, whatever you want to call it, his entire life and his entire career. So everything for him is political, like it's everything. So whenever he does anything with the AG's office, he's doing it through a political frame. So he never went after Trump When he was president, even though Trump was doing a lot of bad stuff, but man, he's filed suit after suit against Joe Biden since he's gotten in. And he really does believe that that's what he should be doing because he's a Republican. Right. So Republicans attack Democrats. Democrats attack Republicans. And my view is that the office really shouldn't be political at all that the office really should just be serving the people of the state. You look at the law, you make a call one way or the other, you give your opinion. And if people's rights are being violated, that's when you jump in. But when you have an AG who literally filed a lawsuit in Texas to strike down the Affordable Care Act, which, of course, covered so many people in our state with pre-existing conditions. Mm-hmm. It would have been a disaster if he would have succeeded, to be quite frank. When he's doing something that is diametrically opposed to what people in this state need because he looked at it as politically beneficial, that's a problem. And so that's where we just view things very differently. I'm a lawyer's lawyer. I'll always be a lawyer's lawyer. I'm the person that folks call when bad stuff is happening. And I think to be able to bring that experience, expertise and background to the attorney general's office really could change a lot of people's lives in this state.
0: And that would be a wonderful thing because it's sorely needed in this hyper-partisan environment that we're in. So if someone wants to get involved with your campaign, if they want to volunteer and donate, where would you send them?
1: Jen, J-E-N, the number four, G-A dot com. That's our website. You can get all kinds of information there on how to get in touch and love people who want to volunteer. And you don't have to travel very far. I mean, we've got texting programs, we've got phone banking, if you want signs, whatever it is, we really are wanting to touch all parts of the state because even in areas that are considered red, for example, or that are gerrymandered to make sure that Republicans win, you can't gerrymander a state. And it's so incredibly important to get out voters from North Georgia, South Georgia, and everywhere in between.
0: Yes, it is. And, you know, we live in a red area, quote, end quote, up here in Blue Ridge in Fannin County. And it's a challenge, but we have to keep fighting and ensure that everyone's rights are being respected and everyone is being heard. So finally, Senator, with all that's going on with your career, with your background, and you are obviously eminently qualified to be attorney general and beyond. Tell us something fun, just about yourselves.
1: A Fun fact. There are a lot of fun facts that I Probably shouldn't share, but...
0: Please feel free.
1: So I've done a lot of jury consulting and I actually developed an iPad app to help lawyers pick juries here in Georgia because I saw a need there and a lot of prosecutor's office used it because it was really appropriate and kind of for criminal cases. But I love juries. I think jury trials are one of the most interesting things that I do as a lawyer And it really is like the political in the sense of the cross-section of people that you meet and you see. And I like to say that this may be the longest jury trial that I've ever experienced this campaign. so
0: Wow, that is so cool. (laughs) You actually helped develop an app. That's great and very cool. And thank you so much, Senator, for joining us today and sharing more about your critical work in candidacy to advance Democratic goals and policy. Before we go, I'd also like to remind our listeners to vote on the ballot all the way from the top. Down, And I know, Senator, that you would agree with me. We have to vote for all of the Democratic candidates on the ballot from governor with Stacey Abrams down to agriculture commissioner, labor commissioner, insurance commissioner, et cetera. So I'm Meryl Clark. And on behalf of our team, I'd like to thank everyone for listening to the North Georgia Blue podcast. Join us next time when we chat with Nikita Hemingway, the Democratic nominee for agriculture commissioner. To learn more about us and the work that we're doing, visit us online at FanninCountyGeorgiaDemocrats.com. Share the North Georgia Blue podcast with your friends and family. Be sure to subscribe and follow. And if you enjoy our podcast, be a founding patron and friend of the show at NorthGeorgiaBluePodcast.com slash patron with three different giving levels to choose from, offering cool swag, recognition on the show and website, and valuable gift cards to help us continue getting into more or good trouble.